0: That is not normally the way that we start service here at Restoration Church, but it was a great way to introduce this new series we're beginning at Restoration Church, uh, something we're calling the Art of Neighboring, and uh, it's going to be kind of a vision series for us to kind of deal with this idea on how do we neighbor, how do we love people, um, how do we connect with people on this idea, and as, as, a, as a church... Uh, our elders got together in the beginning of the year, and we started talking through, well, well wh- what is our big idea for this year? What are our goals? And we came back to this idea that we wanted to prioritize relationships this upcoming year. And so we're looking at the scope of the church and saying, let's 2017 be the year that we work on connecting with people and getting them uh, connected in relationship. And um, kind of came out of this idea from Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, we we looked at a couple weeks ago, and it says that we as Christians are to seek the welfare of the city. Which means we're supposed to go into the city, we're supposed to love people, and seek the the, the benefit, the universal flourishing of the people around us. And so this is an opportunity for us to take this series and challenge ourselves on how do we actually do this? How do we love our city? How do we love people? How do we prioritize people? And so we're going to be very uh, fun. This series will be very practical. We'll have some great tips and, and, and tools for us to actually wrestle with this idea on the art of neighboring. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to uh, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 12. If you need a Bible, slip your hand up. We've got an usher in the back. Um, if, you're, if you have a phone, you have a smartphone, you can probably pull up uh, the Bible app on your phone, and uh, you can turn there as well. Uh, we want you to be able to to be in god 's word today. Uh, mark chapter twelve really covers this idea about neighboring in mark chapter twelve uh, jesus is, is is talking to some people and he 's going going to be kind of a foundational verse for this entire series about how do we, how do we uh, love God and not only love God but how do we love our neighbor as ourself so we 're going to be in in, in uh, Mark chapter twelve today, and as you 're turning there, I want to kind of deal with something just real quick in house. Uh, this past weekend, we had our If Gathering 2017 for the ladies. So ladies, if you would just slip your hand up if you were at this event this past weekend. And, uh, this was such a phenomenal weekend. And, uh, I wanted to share just a little bit about the If Gathering. Uh, Restoration Church decided to, to bring the If Gathering, um, and do our local, uh, event. Started four years ago. And it grew in the second year, um. Uh, last year, uh, as we got ready for the IF gathering, we actually had a couple of churches come to us and say, hey, we'd love to partner with you for this event. And we thought this is great, and we saw growth last year. Um, in fact, this year, there was another church that came and said, hey, we'd love to partner with you as well. And in fact, we grew out of this building. We no, no, no longer fit in the Seasons Performance Hall. And uh, phenomenal weekend. Um, this, this past weekend, I just want to share the highlights uh, there was over 550 women that registered for this event. Um, and, and the cool thing is, is what started as, as, as our church, and we invited, and I think we had five churches a part of our planning team, um, a really cool thing. Um, I'm just excited to, to say there, there was over 42 churches represented this weekend at this If Gathering. And uh, you think about, you think about uh, the idea about unity and how Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17, and he said, if we would be one, then the world would know who Jesus is. And I think this past weekend to see 42 churches coming together, uh, ladies that are just, I mean, this is, uh, Jesus is going to do something in our city, and I, and I believe that. And it was a great opportunity. I want to just highlight um, our, our women's ministry team uh, that really pushed this on and put this together. And uh, specifically, um, I want to highlight one person who hates recognition, who hates the limelight. But I just want to recognize my wife, Samantha, and uh, just to say, um, I'm proud of you. Um, She, uh, you guys got the short end of the stick. Uh, She's the better leader than I am. She is a better communicator. um, And you guys got me instead of her. Uh, But um, I want to just thank all of those who made this happen this weekend. It was a a great event. And uh, looking forward to uh, what God's going to do in response to that event. But I want to make sure I say thank you for, um, for what you guys did. All right, so today we are in Mark chapter 12. And before we, we, we jump in, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. God, we want to thank you for just this chance to be here today and uh, to be able to be, open up your word and, God, as we kind of deal with these ideas, I pray, God, that you would help us to, to look at ourselves and see the areas we need to grow. God, this is a, a topic that for many of us we've heard many times. But, God, I pray that you wouldn't allow us just to tune out, but you'd allow us to lean in, that you would challenge us, that you would stretch us, that you would grow us, and that, God, you would speak to us. And, uh, Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here um, with, with a passion, God, to be obedient to what you've called us to do, and that's to love the people around us. God, I pray that you would just allow your presence to rest on us now. And uh, God, we just thank you for, for that. We ask this in your name. Amen. So in Mark chapter 12, you've got a situation where there are some religious leaders of the day. Now, these are not Christians. I don't think these are Christian people. These are just religious people. It is possible for you and I to be religious, but not necessarily a Christian. And these religious leaders, they come up to Jesus and they're trying to ask him these questions and trying to get Jesus to to get tripped up. They want him to say something wrong so they can say, Look, Jesus, you aren't the son of God because we got you to mess up. And so they're trying to trap him. And one one of the leaders, it says in verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came up, and they heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked to him, asked Jesus, Which commandment is the most important of all? Now, if I was there, that's the kind of question that I would want to know. Like, that's the question I would ask. Because when you look at the scope of specifically the Old Testament, there are over 600 laws that, that, that you have to obey to be obedient to Christ, okay, to, to God. So there, are, there, there were commands, you know, like, like don't do this, and, and you've got to do that. And, you know, we can look and say the Ten Commandments will be an example of that. You know, the Ten Commandments, I think it's don't chew, don't, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. And so there's all these rules that you had to follow to be obedient to God, and the the, the the scribe comes up to Jesus and says, "All right, Jesus, here's here's the deal. You've got all these commandments, all these rules. Which one is most important? Like, which one should I prioritize? Like, which of those are misdemeanors and they're not really that important? But what is number one?" And Jesus has a response for him. He says in verse 29, Jesus answered. The most important is this. He says, "Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love. I want you to see that word "love." Because notice he says, "I want you to love. I don't want you to just to believe. We have this idea, as long as I believe, that's enough, but God's not looking for our belief. He's looking for something more than just believing. He wants our heart. He wants our love. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Do you hear that? He's saying the most important thing, listen, the most important thing to God is not our sexuality. It's not whether or not we go to church. The most important thing to God is that we love him first and foremost above everything else. And that means for you and I, it means that when we're looking at how we love our family and how we love our spouse and how we, how we love our jobs, like those things are secondary. Those aren't the first loves. How we even, I would say, a lot of us love ourselves and we prioritize ourselves. And Jesus says all those things are secondary. First and foremost, you are to love God. That is the center of your heart is to be centered upon God. And he says, I want you to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your, with all your strength. This means there's every part of you that's supposed to love God. You don't hold this part back. You don't say, well, well, God, I love you on, you know, every day except for Friday. Friday is my day. I'm going to love myself more than you on Friday. No, no, Jesus says every day, every part of your being is supposed to love God. And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, but he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 31, and it says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm looking at this, and i am said, whoa, hold on a second there, Jesus. Like, like, you were asked for one commandment. You're cheating. You just gave two. You said to love God and love people. That's cheating. That's not fair, Jesus. You can't do that. But there's a, uh, there's a statement that he said, Something very significant that we need to understand how these two commandments relate to each other. So he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says, the second commandment is like, it: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this next phrase I want you to to, to listen to, because this is going to be translated the same in just about every uh, Bible, every modern Bible, Bible version we have. He says, there is no other commandment, singular." There is no other singular commandment greater than these, plural. He's saying there is no other commandment greater than these two. These two commandments are somehow joined together, they're somehow connected, they belong together. He's saying there's nothing greater than these. And so, so what we have to do is we have to try and understand, well, what is what is Jesus, how is he relating these two commandments together? Why are they so significant that they can't be separated? And so uh, you, to understand that, we've got to look at the book of uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. Um, we'll have the words up on the screen in just a second. But uh, the gospel writer John, he says something in chapter 4 that helps us to understand how these two commandments about loving God and loving people are connected. They're, they're, they're joined together. They, they, they belong into the single greatest commandment. So John writes, in verse 20, he says, First uh, John 4 20, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother, wh- for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he says in verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, Okay, this commandment, he's pointing back to what Jesus just answered that scribe, all the way back to Mark chapter 20. John is saying, I'm pointing back to that idea about the greatest commandment. He says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, the point that that Jesus was trying to make, and the point that John here is trying to reiterate, is that there can be no separation between our love for God and our love for people. You can't separate those two things. You can't, have a, you can't have a love for God but not love other people. This idea is, 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 we've got to grasp and understand that it is possible for us, it is possible for you and I to love people but not love God. But it is absolutely, according to Jesus, it is absolutely not possible for us to, to love God and to not love other people. In fact, this would, be, this would be probably the greatest litmus test for somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, who claims to be a Christian. Because if we claim to be a Christian and we don't love the people around us, Jesus just said you don't really love God. You don't really love Jesus. This becomes the greatest litmus test for our faith. This idea that, that loving your neighbor becomes the visible proof of your love for God. That's how you tell that there's a genuine love for God is how you and I when we walk out of this room how we love other people around us. And this is going to be this idea of what this entire series is about. Wrestling with this idea on how do we love other people? How do we love our neighbors? How do we love our city? And we're going to deal with these ideas and dig into this topic of trying to understand like who is my neighbor? Like, how am I supposed to love my neighbor? Like, like, like what does this look like? And we're going to just dig in. And, and as we wrestle with this topic, see, we don't want to be a people who just claim to love Jesus. We want to be known as a people who demonstrate that love for Jesus and our love for the people around us. And our love for our city and our love for our neighbors. And, and I think we come to this point, and I want to just mention a word of caution, Okay. I know we are a church plant, Restoration Church. We are three and a half years old, almost four years old. We planted intentionally downtown. And this idea about loving people is part of our DNA for who we are as a church. I mean, it, it, we've talked about it time and time again at Restoration Church. And, and because we've talked about it before, there comes a temptation. There, there, there might be a temptation for some of you. And I don't know, if you have not grown up in church, if you haven't been in church very long, then we're so glad you're here. But there's a temptation for some of us who've been in church a long time. We've grown up in church. And if you're like me, I've been a Christian for for 16 years. And I've probably heard uh, thousands. I've probably heard 5,000 messages. and, and, And Bible studies. And summer youth camp talks. And, like, kindergarten flannel graph, like, like uh, presentations on how we're supposed to love our neighbor. Like, like, I've heard this time and time and time again. I mean, you could probably, if you've been at church a long time, you can probably guess the passages we're going to look at. You can probably guess and say, this is where you're going to teach from. Listen, if this is where you're at, if you're feeling that temptation to say, I already know this. I want something different. I want something deeper. Listen, if that's your temptation, my question for you is this. How are you doing at living this out? Because Jesus just told us that we can't love God if we don't love our neighbor. So how are you actually living this out? Listen, if, if, if your life looks like this, if you're looking and saying, my business, man, my business, I've been talking about Jesus, and there's a spirit of revival over my entire business, and all my coworkers are repenting of sin and worshiping Jesus. Listen, if you're... <laughs> If you're a student, you're saying, man, every kid in my homeroom class, they they worship Jesus, they follow Jesus. If you are saying, everybody in my neighborhood has become a Christian, and we've got so many Christians in my neighborhood, we're going to do a church plant right in my neighborhood. Listen, if that's you, like, I give you permission to take the next five weeks off and just kind of tune out and and not pay attention. But I'm going to guess that many of us in here today are knowledge of loving our neighbors as ourselves, our novel, our knowledge of this far exceeds our obedience to living it out. I'm gonna guess that most of us in here today are in that situation where our knowledge of loving other people far exceeds the actual practice of living it out. See, the reason I can say that about most of us in here is that's probably true about myself. That's probably true about myself. If you were to say, hey, Kevin, how many people did you lead to Jesus this past year? I mean, I I can say I probably led a lot because I have a unique opportunity. I get to stand up in front of a church every week and and share the gospel. I get to go and speak to to youth camps, and and I get to share the gospel with a couple hundred people every month. And so I have a unique opportunity. But if you ask me outside of my ministry at Restoration Church— Kevin, how many people did you personally lead to Christ? If I'm going to be honest, I'm going to say not many. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I've had, I've had intentional conversations. I've been in relationships with people. I've, 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 I've witnessed to them. I've, I've been in those conversations. I've invited our neighbors to church. I've, I've sought to love and serve people. In fact, I coached Little League Baseball with a specific intention to love on families and be able to, to reach out to them in the name of Jesus. But if I'm just being straight up honest with you, sometimes it's hard to live this out. Sometimes it can be difficult. And I'm thinking, man, if I'm a pastor, and I generally desire to to follow Christ in my life, and if this is an area in my life where my knowledge far exceeds my obedience to it, if this is an area in my life that I know is a growth area, I'm going to assume that there are many of us in this room that are in the same boat. And so this is my prayer for us during this series. My prayer for us is that we would not yawn at what Jesus calls the second greatest commandment. My prayer for us is that we would not assume this is a series for our church, but this is a sermon series for you and for me and for every one of us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to share just a little bit of the heart behind this idea about why I think this series is is relative for you and I uh, in our context, in our city, in our our nation, in our world, in our culture around us. I want to deal with three reasons why I think this series is is, is right for us. The first idea, when you and I look at the scope of Christianity— When we're looking at the scope of Christianity in our city, in our our state, in our world, in our culture, when we're looking at the scope of Christianity, what Jesus said is supposed to distinguish distinguish us as Christians, I don't think is what distinguishes us as Christians. I mean, I mean just, just picture this. If you and I were to go to a concert um, on a Saturday night at the Seasons Performance Hall, they do a big event. If you and I were to go to Northtown Coffee House, and we were to talk to somebody who doesn't go to church, who isn't a Christian, and we were to ask them, how do you know a person is a Christian? I mean, think about the answers that you and I might hear from people. There's going to be a variety of answers we're going to hear. Some might say, well, if you go to church, well, that makes you a Christian, Right? Some would say, Well well your political affiliation, how you vote, proves whether or not you're a Christian or not. So you know what what what, 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 what side are you on? Maybe maybe uh, maybe they'd say, Well, well what you wear makes you a Christian. Like if you wear the, 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 the cross necklace or if you 've got like the Greek tattoo on your shoulder, like, you know that like that 's obviously a symbol that you love Jesus because you 've got that tattoo on your shoulder, maybe maybe you 've got the bumper sticker that you know that obviously you 're a Christian because you got the bumper sticker maybe maybe they 'd say well we 're in america isn 't America a Christian nation, so we all are Christians right maybe maybe they 'd say well well I, I saw on Facebook you shared that picture you know that picture that says like if you like Jesus, share this picture if you love Jesus. You shared the picture, obviously you're a Christian. I mean, I mean, what would our world around us say makes and defines what a Christian is? Jesus gave us a very clear answer. Jesus said there's a very distinguishing fact that determines whether or not we are a Christian or not. In John chapter 13, Jesus speaks very specifically. He says in verse 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You see that word all? I love this idea. By this, all people, not just by this, other Christians will know you're a Christian. No, by this, all people will know that you are a follower of Christ. This is tremendous. It's exciting. It says, by this, all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, I think this is why this series is so important for us today. It's because the distinguishing mark of Christianity is not whether or not we go to church. It's not how we vote. It's not what we wear. The distinguishing mark of Christianity is how we love other people. It is love. That is distinguishing mark of Christianity. This is what makes us as Christians different from the world. Is when you and I walk out of these doors today, how we love other people is supposed to define us as a Christian. Listen, if I, if you were, to go, if I were to go to your, your neighborhood, if I were to go to your family, your co-workers, uh, your, your, your neighbors, if I were to ask them, what identifies you as being a Christian, how would they answer? I think about, I think about if you were to ask me that question. My neighbors, well, one of my neighbors is my brother-in-law, so I would not recommend you talk to him because he doesn't ever have anything good to say. But I've got, I've got some other neighbors. I've got a specific neighbor who's 90-some years old, and if you were to go to him, excuse me, and you say, hey, Howard, how, what would make you think that Kevin would be a Christian? And Howard might say, well, I know he's a pastor, so I would assume, since he's a pastor, I would assume he's a Christian. He might say, "Well, well, I know he's got like five kids, so you know he, he might be a Christian or a Mormon or a Catholic, or he's crazy. Like, like he's got to be one of those things, you know? He might say, "Well, I think he's a Christian because I see him go to church on Sunday mornings." But would he say, he knows I'm a Christian because of the way that I have loved and served him. you think about your life? Think about your friends? Think about your family. Think about your neighbors on every side of you. How would they answer that question? Is it because of what you wear? Is it because that you talk in a specific way? Or is it because you have loved and served them as God has called us to? And this is why I think this series is so important for us. Because just perhaps... Just perhaps, maybe today, Christianity in our culture is losing this distinguishing characteristic. Where instead of allowing love to be what identifies us as being a Christian, we've allowed our politics, or our church attendance, or sexuality, or what we wear to, to define us. Now, these are good things. These are good things. But let's be clear, Jesus said very specifically, one thing defines us as being a Christian. And that's how we love the people around us. And I think this is a time for us as a church to recapture this idea and that we would allow love to define our Christianity. I mean, I think about our church. Our church is known for a number of things. People know Restoration Church. Oh yeah, that's the church that meets down at the Seasons Performance Hall. You know, Restoration Church, that's, that's the church plant. Uh, you know, Restoration Church, that's the church that's got that crazy good-looking pastor who's really funny. Uh, you know, they, 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 we're known for a lot of things. In fact, uh, one of the privileges I get is I get to talk to new people visiting the church. And it was, it was an honor. I was talking to somebody, hey, what, what, what did you think about your visit at Restoration Church? And they said, Pastor, your church was so welcoming. Like, that's good to hear. You guys, that's, that's awesome. That's good to hear that we are a welcoming church. But is that the goal? That we're a welcoming church? What if... What if when people began to think about Restoration Church, what if when people began to think about you, they began to think about me, they began to think about, man, those people, they love the city. Man, that church, they love the people around them. What if we became known for that? What kind of impact do you think God could do right around us if that was our defining characteristic as a people? So the first reason why I think this series is so important is because a defining characteristic about Christianity is is love, how we love other people. But the second idea, the second idea of why I think this series is so important. You know, when we we look around at the culture around us, we look at where our society is. Listen, there's never been a day that Christians, it's more important for us to take um, theological and biblical stances than it ever has been. I mean, there are stances that we have to stand on the Bible to say this is what the Bible says. And listen, that makes us incredibly unpopular in our culture. And so I would say if there's ever been a time that our theological stances we need to stand on, but those stances need to be saturated by love, this is the time right now that our theological theological stances must be saturated and rooted in love. See, Christians, we're called a lot of things in the world. People call us weird. I'm okay with that. We are a little bit weird. We have been called narrow-minded. We believe that there's one way to to eternity. There's one way to heaven through Jesus Christ. Okay, you can call me narrow-minded. I'm fine with that. People say, well, Christians are judgmental. Well, when we have a Bible who says this is the way we're supposed to live, I mean, I get it. We're called judgmental. I'm okay with that. But now we're in a society where when we have to make biblical stances, when we got to make theological convictions, people call us hateful. People call us bigoted. Is that what we're supposed to be known for? See, some Christians, they just don't get this idea about loving their neighbors. And so what some Christians like to do is they like to take the Bible, they like to beat people with it. And say, this is what the truth is. And I'm going to hit you over the head and say, this is what it is. And listen, I'm not talking about those crazies at Westboro Baptist Church. Like, I've seen Facebook. Have you been on Facebook? Like, you see some of the things that we Christians write? That is not rooted in love. That is us taking our theological convictions. So I'm going to beat you with it because I'm, I'm here. Listen, what if our faith was not defined defined by those theological stances, but what if our faith was defined by those theological stances that are saturated in love? Listen, we have to take biblical stands. we got to stand for truth. we got to stand for what God's Word says. This is not a season that we don't take a stand. We have to take a stand against what is contrary to our, our society around us. But listen, I would say... Because of that, because we take stands for things that are contrary to the society around us, it has never been more important than now that our stances are rooted in love. That we would be known for the way that we love people, the way that we serve them. In fact, I would say that if we loved and served people, they'd be more open to hearing our theological stances if we loved and served them first. In fact, this is what what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13, this is the love chapter. And here's what Paul says. He says, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. You've been to a lot of weddings. You hear that verse shared often. And what it's saying is, if I can speak like an angel— If I can speak and have uh, uh, clear truth and clear theological convictions, that's good. We want that. But he said if it's not rooted in love, then we're just like a clanging cymbal that's drowning out our own message. Verse 2. He says, and if I have prophetic powers, if I have the ability to preach the Word of God, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, this means if I can have great theology... And if I have faith, so as to remove mountains, a faith that believes that God can and still does do miracles. He says, if I can do all these things, but I have not love, I am nothing. The reality of, I know there are someone here today that you've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by the church because they've taken the Bible and said, no, without love, this is what I want you to do. Listen, if that's you, I'm sorry that you've been in a church that you haven't experienced the love of Christ that we're called to to do. I know there's this idea that that we'll say, well, the most loving thing I can do is share the truth with you and, and just make sure you know the truth. Listen, that's not the way that Jesus did it. I mean, Jesus would probably be the greatest example of how we're to marry these ideas of a truth saturated in love. When you look at the example of Jesus, Jesus never rode up and crushed people with the Bible. Okay, he did do that to the religious people, the Pharisees. But to normal, everyday people, Jesus never came up and said, listen, you're in sin. In fact, you look at the Bible, what Jesus did is he walked into their story. First, he loved them. He befriended them. He served them. And then after the love came, after the friendship came, after the serving came, then he told them the truth and called them to repentance. Example, the the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. The law on that day was if you were caught in the act of adultery, that you would be stoned to death. So the story goes that the religious leaders, they catch this woman uh, caught in the act of adultery. They bring her out to the town square. And they're all ready to stone her until Jesus steps in. And remember what Jesus said? He said, whoever is without sin, you can throw the first rock. And all the religious leaders dropped their rocks. And then Jesus looked at this woman and he said something very beautiful. He says, woman, where are your accusers? They're all gone. Remember what we said next? He says, neither do I condemn you. But if anybody, if anybody in the universe had the right to step in and condemn this woman, that's Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Like, like he had the right. But what does he say to her? He says, neither do I condemn you. Step one, he walks into her life. He engages her. He loves her. He serves her. And only then, only after he's had that chance to build that relationship, then he says, go and sin no more. There's grace, there's love, and then there's truth. And that completely changed her life. So that's one story. No, it's all over the New Testament, all over Jesus' life. What about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember what happened? Jesus rode by and said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, because I'm going to your house today. What if Jesus came by and said, you know what? Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. We need to deal with your sin. We need to deal with the fact that you've been ripping people off. Is that what he did? No. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to eat lunch with you. I'm going I'm to serve the guy. I'm going I'm to serve you. And only then does Jesus begin to say, hey, Zacchaeus, you know, you probably ought to pay back all those people that you've stolen from you got to do something about that. First comes grace and love, and then comes the truth. Listen, the New Testament, the life of Jesus could go on and on and on. That when Jesus uh, encountered people far from God, he never separated. He never divorced his theology from his love. His theology was always rooted in Love. This is what John chapter 1, says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 John 1, 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be to us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. Do you see this idea? That we have got to root our theological convictions in love. We can't, we can't divorce our, our, our theology, our truth, and our love. Step one is to always lead with love. Step one is to always lead with love. And too many times what we do is we lead by our conviction. We lead by our theology. And what does the scripture say? They will know we are Christians by our theology. They'll know we are Christians by the truth. No, they will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. I think I think it was Theodore Roosevelt that said this. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Listen, isn't this the truth? The most effective way for us to share our truth, to share the word of God, is through love. To build a relationship, to care about the person. And once there's that care and that concern, they're open to the truth. Of the Word of God. Listen, don't 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 misquote me here. I'm not saying that we have to fudge on our theological convictions. We're part of the Acts 29 network. It is known as theologically robust. That's who I am, theologically robust. But I want us to understand we hold those convictions and they have to be rooted in love. And that we love people first and then we share the truth with them and allow God to begin to to break down those walls. This is for every one of us. When we begin to think about how we serve in our community, we begin to think about the gay and lesbian lesbian community around us. We begin to think about that neighbor on your street whose marriage is falling apart. You think about that girl in your workplace who's, who's, who's neck deep in sexual sin, whose life is in a shamble. You begin to think about that family member who maybe isn't all that messed up, but you just don't like anyways. You begin to think about that person. Step one is to love them. To wade into their story, whatever their story is. To love them and serve them and befriend them. And listen, when we do that, I can promise you that the truth will easily follow. Step one is always to lead in love. Listen, the third reason why I think this series is so important for us and timely for us is because there is no greater joy than loving people and seeing Jesus change their life. You see, when our knowledge exceeds our obedience to this idea, we miss out on one of the greatest pleasures and joys that the Christian life has to offer. See, when, our, when, we, when we make our faith just what, this on a Sunday morning, just what we do to, on a Sunday, when, when this is all there is to our faith, listen, this is wonderful, but when this is the extent of your Christian faith, of your experience with Christ, when your love is vertical and it's not horizontal, you are missing out on one of the greatest joys that you have the opportunity to experience. And if you've ever been used by God, to, to witness to somebody, to love people, and watch as God changes their life. Listen, there's no, there's no greater joy. In fact, I remember as a young Christian, the very first time, I had the opportunity to be used by God in ministry. I was a new Christian, and they, they, they needed a, a Sunday school teacher for fourth and fifth grade boys. And I said, sure, I could probably figure out how to teach some little boys. And we had this class, and, and at the church that we had, they had a bus ministry. So they would take the bus around town, and they'd pick up kids uh, who came from pretty hard, uh, hard family backgrounds. And I had this group of boys in this class. And there's one of these boys who was a little bit bigger. His name was Javier. And he was a good kid, and I had the chance to connect with him. And, and I, noticed, uh, I noticed he was gone for about two months. And I'm asking around, hey, where's Javier been? I haven't seen him in a while. You know, where's he been? And he's like, oh, yeah, he's with his brother like, uh, okay, well, well, I'd love to connect with him. I'd love to see him back at church. I remember Javier came back after being gone for about two months. I'm like, man, where, where have you been? Like, I've missed you. And he said, ah, oh, Kevin. He said, uh, you know, my brother told me something. My brother said God isn't real. My brother said, you know, you're just wasting your time with that, that Christianity stuff. God can't do anything in your life. He said, Kevin, I believed him. I started following my big brother around. I started doing the things that my big brother did. And he said, you know what? I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. I didn't like the way it made me treated, the way that they treated me. And he said, you know, when I come to church, he said, Kevin, you love me. Kevin, you accept me. Kevin, you you care about what goes on in my life. He said, man, I want that. That's what I want. I want to feel loved and accepted. I want to become a Christian. And that was the first opportunity I had to, to, pray with this, to pray with somebody and say, hey, this is how you become a Christian. This is how you accept Christ into your life. And listen, I will tell you, there's no greater high. There's no greater thrill than that, than seeing a person whose life has been changed by Jesus, and having a part in that. And this has become a lifelong pursuit in my life, where I say, I want to have that high again. I want to have the thrill of seeing people's lives changed because of what God is doing. There's nothing greater than that. And if you've been there, you can think back to your life and say, man, I've been in that situation. That is awesome to be a part of God changing somebody's life. Listen, when we don't live this out, we miss out on that opportunity. We miss out on that joy. And let me tell you, there's no greater joy. There's no greater joy than being used by God. And as we start thinking about this series, how do I wrap this up? Listen, I want us not to say, hey, I know this stuff. I don't want us to tune out, to let our eyes glaze over, to yawn at it. I don't want us to yawn at what Jesus says is the second greatest commandment of all. I want us to be open to say, God, God, I'll step into this. God, I'll work on having my obedience exceed my knowledge. That I would love our city. That I would love our neighbors. That I'd love people right here. That I would say, God, if you'll use it, I'll give you my life. You pray with me? God, just thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for your grace on us as a church. And God, I pray for this series, God, I pray that you help us to lean in. God, this wouldn't just be something we come and hear and we learn about, something we've heard about a number of times already. But God, we would say, God, would you use me now and help me to understand what it looks like for me to actually live this out? God, help us to be a church that isn't just hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. That, God, we would be a church and a people that aren't defined by our church attendance, aren't defined by what we wear, by the way that we speak, that we would be defined by the way that we love, that we would love people the way that you've loved them, sacrificially. The fact that, Jesus, you came for us, and you loved us, and you gave your life as a ransom. You gave your life on the cross for us so we could have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that you help us to learn and understand how we are to love people, to sacrifice, have the opportunity for the gospel to be heard. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts Work in our lives, work in our neighborhoods, work in our church, and work in our community. That, God, you'd be made great. That, God, we'd see lives changed. That, God, you'd use every one of us. God, thank you for meeting us here today. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name.